Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to the Cinema Pathway podcast. You know, performance and storytelling have been around for upwards of 65,000 years, going all the way back to cave paintings. Over time, you know, it developed into, you know, plays, um, acting on stage, you know, in in ancient Greece. Uh, And then around the 6th century, a man named Thespis became the first person to actually portray a character on stage, and that's where we get the term thespian today. And then over the next 2,500 years up to today, the craft of acting, you know, continually evolved and developed. Around 1585, a guy you may have heard of, his name was William Shakespeare, began writing plays that not only influenced acting in the theater world, but also the English language itself. And then up until about 125 years ago, acting was almost exclusively done on stage, either in live plays, shows, musicals, vaudeville acts, uh, and then film came along. And like many innovations and inventions of the last century, film has influenced acting, and there's probably more change in the last hundred years and development uh, than the previous 2,500 combined. Uh, Yet theater will always remain the foundational arena that actors begin and continue to hone their craft in. We're joined today by an extremely talented actor who has appeared on both stage and screen uh, and is going to share with us his journey across multiple mediums and also multiple continents. I'm happy to welcome Fernando Gillen to our show. Thank you, Howard. Um, so, Fernando, speaking of our, our friend Bill Shakespeare, you know, you and I were on first name basis with him. Among his many famous quotes, one that stands out to me right now is all the world's a stage. For you, I think it's very appropriate. Uh, you were born and trained in your native Venezuela. Uh, you now call Miami your home. Can you take us back to where it all started for you? Yeah, well, it definitely started in childhood. I was um, very fascinated with Disney, obviously, growing up. And I think The Lion King was, to me, my favorite movie. I used to play with my sister, like reenact, reacting the scenes and the scene where Simba is born and Sazu, that scene, I must have done it at least 50 times. It was just part of my childhoods. And um, at the same time, my dad had so many movies recorded on Betamax and VHS. So Imagine me at eight or nine seeing movies like Aliens and The Predator. It was just like, I was just amazed by the world of cinema. And I used to impersonate Jim Carrey. So whenever like people would come to my house, my mom would stop everything that they were doing. Like, look, 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 he's going to show you something. And I would just impersonate Jim Carrey doing this, uh, the restaurant scene in Dumb and Dumber. And like, you know, I, I learned the Mortal Kombat dance from the original Mortal Kombat. So that was pretty much something that I I was always interested since I was very, very young. I didn't get to acting until I was in my late 20s. You know, I was very shy, believe it or not. Like I even got casted in sixth grade to to play Jesus Christ. And to me, the idea that I had to be in underwear in a cross in front of all the girls and boys of my school was just terrifying. That sounds pretty intense. (laughs) Yeah. So I, that was like my first, 
rejection. Like, no, thank you. I'm fine. And it was just mainly because of that. You know, I didn't have any training at the time. I didn't know where to start. But I've always been fascinated with film. And theater to me is definitely the best school any any actor, actress could have. No doubt. When you uh, when you were talking about The Lion King and reenacting that scene with your sister, was your sister older or younger? My youngest sister. Your, your youngest sister. Did you actually like hold your sister up like no. they do? Because because <laughs> I, I do that with my cat all the time. Okay. No, no. She would play, I think she played um, Mufasa and I was Sazu. So we would use like her little um, teddy bears as, you know, Simba and Nala and everyone else. And speaking of Shakespeare, Lion King is a retelling of... I always get confused if it's Hamlet or Macbeth. One of them where the brother kills the yeah, brother. Yeah, that actually, yeah, that that story. I, I didn't. You don't see it as a kid, but that's a that's a story that is very tragic. It's dark. It, it's dark, you know. And as a kid, you don't you don't see that. And then speaking of, of retellings, I wrote a paper in high school about how the movie Strange Brew, classic '80s movie, where Rick Moranis is actually a telling of a uh, retelling of Hamlet, and the McKenzie brothers are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> that's awesome. So you didn't get into it until your 20s. What made you finally decide to pursue acting? Well, it's just that, you know, I got into other things. I was studying marketing as, uh, you know, in, in my early 20s. And I just got into other stuff. You know, I was more interested in, you know, I was I was also doing martial arts. Um, I did karate, Aikido. I was playing. I also played baseball. You know, that's like the biggest they play, sport. They play baseball in Venezuela? Oh, that's the... That's <laughs> Yeah. Hockey in yes. Canada? Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's like the biggest sport in, in Venezuela for sure. So I don't know. I just didn't, I guess I wasn't ready. I, I didn't really know where to begin, how to go. And like until one day I was just like, I'm just going to try it out. Somebody actually, I met an actor who asked me a couple of questions and he directed me to the institute that I went to uh, under the direction of Carl Hoffman. And there I... I studied that Stanislavski method of acting, um, and it was it was my my first experience on stage. Um, so yeah, that's uh, how it all started about ten years ago. Yeah, we've talked with other people that have been on a podcast about you know their formative years in school in the United States, theater departments, drama departments. Some uh, the school put a lot of effort into it. Some they put minimal effort into it. What's it like in Venezuela, or at least where you grew up, the uh, the primary schools? Do they have theater programs? Is it something that's part of education? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, theater is very popular in Venezuela. And, you know, um, it's, it's obviously a wonderful experience. The thing about it all comes down to politics. So there is there hasn't been that much support into the theater scene, the cinema scene in Venezuela. And it's not something that it's like in the U.S. where it's like it's a career. Um, you can live off it, you know, and like I think everything diminished with the political changes in Venezuela. I think mainly that's been the struggle in that particular context. So then what, what brought you to Miami? Well, I had to leave home basically because of the same situation. You know, I, I left everything behind. Um, my sister lived here. So I I came here in 2014 for approximately five months just to test. And I did some workshops with Jane Kelly, who unfortunately passed away. Very good teacher, amazing actress. Um, and I started to network with people. And that's basically how 
I've been able to work on my craft and get involved in projects. It's really about networking. You know, it doesn't matter if you have studied this method or this technique. It all comes down to networking and knowing the right people and being at the right place and having a good agent. Yeah, at the beginning, you have to collaborate um, with, you know, student films and independent productions because that's how you accumulate your material to have your reel. You have to have your headshots updated at least once a year. That's basically your introduction card. Like that's how you present yourself to an agent or manager and that's how they can work with you. That's your business card. Yeah. That's basically what you need to do. And you mentioned you were studying marketing and something that goes hand in hand with marketing is sales. And um, sales is almost its own form of performance performance art absolutely they even told me like you should study law you'd be a great lawyer i mean and, and i've met a lot of people that they exclusively go to acting school because they're you know a sales representative or they they have like social anxiety and they can't have the ability to talk in front of 200 500 people and they take acting classes specifically for that and they actually do very good you know within 3 months they they just they're swimming yeah when i started college 30 years ago and i started as a theater major one of the things i thought about was law school for that reason you know i watch a lot of law and order and <laughs> all all those tv shows and i thought being a lawyer was actually like getting up there and absolutely you kill a mockingbird type performing you, you need front to of jurors and uh, 99% of it is just doing paperwork in an office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when it comes um, down. Yeah, and but but yeah, it's definitely you acquire skills to take people with you in whatever journey you're getting yourself into, and that's I think that's the magic of acting. If you're really in tune with your truth, um, it's just letting the audience figure it out. You know, it's it's it, that's the process. You don't need to show what you know. Just let the people figure it out. And you mentioned Predator. Uh, who would have thought two governors would have come out of out of that movie? But uh, what are your other you know what other movies influenced you or what actors you know influence and inspire you? Well, I grew up watching a lot of action films. Um, definitely, I'm a huge fan of Arnold because I'm also a fitness enthusiast. So to me, he's like my my child hero. Just you know, sort of. Speak and um, I'm a huge fan of Tom Hardy. Like, I really love everything he's done. And I can relate a lot with his, you know, his experience, like his personal life, a lot of the things that he went through. I can relate a lot with him. But if you would ask me what movies I've seen more than once... I have a huge list, but for example, the movie Heat, directed by Michael Mann with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer, I've seen that movie at least 30 times. And out of those 30 times, it's definitely one of the movies that influenced me a lot, not only because of the cinematography, the script, the acting, the chemistry in that movie to me is perfect. And there was a time where I was professionally competing in paintball and airsoft in Venezuela. So every Sunday before practice, I would wake up, I would cook an omelet and drink my coffee scene, the bank scene, because that scene alone would just get my adrenaline pumping before going to the court to train and just, you know, and just have a blast. It was just it was it was pretty 
much um, like a ritual. Like my buddies would come into my house and like, okay, let's just watch the scene and then let's go. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he came out in 1995. Correct. I highly recommend reading Heat 2 that came out last summer. Uh, it's a prequel and a sequel that Michael Mann wrote um, and he's he's working on turning that into a movie. But uh, yeah, that came out in 1995. I went into the Marine Corps in 1998. They started using the bank robber scene in training, in infantry school training um, and other things that basically they would tell you know, new recruits, if you can't reload a magazine as fast as Val Kilmer in heat, you uh, you fail. Oh, and yeah. that, and it's that, and they, you know, it's called Retreat Under Fire, what they're doing, the kind of bounding cover. And, you know, recently everyone, you know, has gone gaga over like the uh, the Keanu Reeves videos of him training for John Wick. Oh, when yeah. You look back further and you see De Niro doing that too. Yeah, no, it's definitely really, it's real. It's real. And it's pretty amazing when you talk about actors and charisma and magnetism. And uh, I was speaking to some people about this recently, that in 1995, I'm showing my age here, you can't explain to people today what a monumental event it was having De Niro and Pacino on screen together. Absolutely. There is nothing today that compares to it. That conversation between Vincent Hanna and Neil McCauley in the coffee shop is just epic. It's just two regular guys talking from different sides of the law. And it's what the beautiful thing about it is that they have so much in common. They're so much alike. So much so that they even smile at each other because they know like what Neil tells him, he acknowledges it because it's like, yeah, that's pretty much how I think as well. And I just love that chemistry of those two characters. It's, and what you said, it's a monumental piece. And speaking for myself, you know, when it comes down to the last scene, you're okay with, it could have gone either way. Absolutely. And, and you're okay with that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those, it's a, uh, it's a paradox. Um, you know, you have a, uh, a good guy, the cop who's, you know, maybe not completely good. And you have a, you know, the bad guy, Robert De Niro, who's really not, not that bad. Bad. That's yeah, something that's, Michael Mann does does yeah, that I that I love. You can see the same thing in Collateral yeah. with Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, it's just that chemistry that he can give you through his craft of filmmaking. And I think that movie really touched me. Um, Heat, to me, was just, you know, till today, it's something that I truly enjoy. Another movie that I really love is obviously Goodfellas. Anything that Martin Scorsese has directed, I just love it. There's no question about it, as well as Tarantino, of course. But I think Gangs of New York, I saw that movie so many times, and I didn't know, most people don't know this, like, those gangs gangs really existed. Oh, it's based on a book that was written like at the turn of the century. Yeah. And like, I didn't know that. And I, I just happened to buy like the DVD special edition. And like, it has a documentary about the real gangs of New York. Yep. And I think Daniel Day-Lewis is like one of the greatest actors that I have ever lived. I mean, that guy is just phenomenal, phenomenal in everything he's done. And even as great as Daniel Day-Lewis is, you know, even if we say like he's, he's the greatest actor of this generation and all that, going back to De Niro and Pacino, like him sharing the screen with someone like it wouldn't be an event you, you know what I mean there's yeah. no one else I mean even I think maybe the closest that come to and you know it's more like two big A-listers was like yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yes maybe but again that wasn't the magnitude of 
Not at all. Especially because them both being in The Godfather 2, they actually never shared any scenes together. Any scenes together because he played Jan Vito. Yeah. yeah, but like, what about The Expendables? Because like, I'm a huge action hero fan and you got everybody there. You got you got Adrian and you yeah. got, you know, the Arnold. Uh... All of them. I mean, isn't like like Dolph, Dolph is it? Is that the one with like Dolph Lundgren? Dolph Lundgren and Jim Clavin Dam, Chuck Norris. And like, they have a lot of inside jokes that only people that really appreciate their films yeah. get. So- um, they even had Bruce Willis, you know, and it was. <laughs> I cry when I think about what's going on with him. Yeah, it's really that's and, really, and that's the era I grew up in. You know, I grew up in really eighties action where explosions, you know, explosions that make no sense. No one ever runs out of ammo. There's no never. One, there's like there's like a one eight hundred henchman. Um, line yeah, because exactly. it's funny. That's, like why? And and when you when I analyze, I was like, why is the car blowing up? It just crashed. Yeah. Like you don't see that in real life. Exactly. And I love that era. But let me ask you. Um, what do you think about Die Hard? Is it a Christmas movie? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? I think the same thing. Christmas does not start until I see Hans Gruber falling off the Nakatomi Tower. Absolutely. And there's another debate that started going on. Is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? Lethal Weapon, really? The first one takes place right around Christmas. You're absolutely right. I haven't heard that debate yet. But I think Die Hard I think, is of course. definitely a Christmas absolutely. movie. I mean, every Christmas John McClane had was just, you know, a catastrophe. Yeah. And then it became, you know, Die Hard in a bus, Die Hard in this. And um, they are, and, and I was listening to someone recently, they were talking about Dwayne Johnson, you know, The Rock and yeah. Black Adam and all that thing. I haven't seen Black Adam yet. I thought it was good, that, but I mean, it's weird growing up, Superman, Batman, those were the ones you knew and all that. If somebody here told me 20 years ago that the most popular, like, comic book movies are going to be Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, I'd be like, I got no idea who you're talking about. But I knew yeah. who Iron Man was, you know, who Thor was, Captain America. That was basically it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I have, like, my reservations when it comes to, like, the superhero movies. I mean, I enjoyed it when it all started with Iron Man. Like, the first Iron Man I hadn't seen in years. And, like, when I saw it a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, wow, this movie is so, and Rob Robert Downey Jr. was, it's like, he was born to play Tony Stark, Absolutely. definitely. But like, what you say about Batman, yeah, I mean, I grew up watching the Tim Burton films and, you know, Michael Keaton. Um, and I always had debates with friends that Stark. were just uh, comic geeks about it. It's like, what do you think about Michael Keaton as Batman? I'm like, um, yeah, I think he, he looked really menacing in that suit. But I love how Michael Keaton played Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He was so good at it. And then we we move forward to Christian Bale in the Dark Knight trilogy. And I don't know. Like, I really liked him as Bruce Wayne, as Batman. I don't know. The voice started getting just really... It was just too much like this. And like... <laughs> You know, Alfred, give me a coffee, you know, so. Uh, but I love that trilogy. I love Christopher Nolan. I've seen Interstellar at least five times. Every time I, I see that, it's just, I can't stop crying. Hans Zimmer, I like that to me is just a demigod. It's just a perfect combination. Um, and when you get in, you know, I think the superhero movies is really the crux of the debate. Show business versus cinema film as as art. Yes. On that. We, we've talked 
and our listeners are probably saying, we're going to talk about this again, sacrificing story for spectacle, that it's more about just big explosions, green screen stuff for now. Sell, um, sell, 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 sell. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it's called show business, boys show and girls, business. not talent business. Exactly. Not show friendship or show, uh, show break even. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. Uh, we're going to keep talking. We're going to talk a little bit more about acting in general right after we take a quick break. But before that, we would like to give a very special thank you to the Westchester Regional Library Branch of the Miami-Dade Public Library System, who are graciously hosting today for this recording. We'll be right back. back today i am joined by actor fernando gillen we're talking movies we're talking action movies talking action stars let's uh let's go another direction let's talk about actors let's talk about acting on the stage very different from acting on film and like we mentioned earlier you started on stage what are some of the biggest differences between acting on the stage and acting on screen or acting for a film? Well, obviously, um, the way that you play a role on stage is very different from film. You have to project your voice way more because if the last person that's sitting watching the play can't hear you, they're not going to understand it. So if they don't understand you, they're not going to pay attention. If they don't get a pay attention, then it's done. So funny enough, um, you can get a lot, you can get away with a lot of things on stage because the audience doesn't know the nature of the script. It doesn't know what's going to happen. So if that's the case and you have a good acting partner, you will improvise to solve whatever mistake happened. And the advantage of film is that they can always cut and retake. On stage, you can't do that. You get one shot to get it right. So the camera will always catch you if you're not being truthful. If you're lying, you can see it on camera because it's very focused on your face and your expressions. On stage, like I said, you can get away with it. The preparation, I think it's basically the same, but the adrenaline on stage definitely is something that's very, very particular. And technical problems are always going to happen. You know, a light may go off, the sound may not go on, um, you may forget a line or something. It's just part of it. It's the nature of it. But it's so much fun. I, uh, I was in a play once and uh, the uh, the phone was supposed to ring. And like my next page and a half of dialogue was related to the phone call. And I'm waiting for the phone to ring. I'm trying to, then I'm like, um, then I try to improvise. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll call him. And right when I pick up the phone, go to dial, then the guy doing the, the sound effects hits the ringer. Yeah. You know, <laughs> tone and all that. So that's funny you mentioned that. I had an experience like that. It was one of my first plays. I did Alice in Wonderland. It was like an adaptation from the Tim Burton film. And I played the names of heart. And um, there was this, um, I think at the end of the act of the second act um, before Alice fights the Jabberwock, uh, the dragon, um, I walked out of stage and I went backstage and I knew that on that cue, the dragon was supposed to talk to Alice before they battled, right? And the voice was done by um, the director from the cockpit. So what happened was is that as I go backstage and I'm talking to the other two um, actors, I tell them like, what's going on? Like the dragon's not talking. And exactly on that moment, my friend who was playing the Mad Hatter, he started 
yelling like with all the breath that he could muster the dragon's dialogue and it was so funny because it sounded terrible it was you know it was not on the proper like it was not in the moment and then when she swung the sword to cut off his head the head didn't fall so it it fell like like almost at the end so it, it was a complete disaster but like those things when happen is it's embarrassing <laughs> but at the same time it's very funny because it's unexpected and like you the show must go on it exactly. doesn't matter I had moments where I was wearing wigs and they would fall off so I would have to say something you know it had to do with the wig which is not on the script part of my you know costume like it was just coming off to pieces so it was funny to see you know doing an action and then I don't know your cape falls off or like your sword gets stuck it's just like those things that <laughs> You reminded me another play. I just went in school where um, my character takes a shot of something and they're supposed to put iced tea, you know, or colored water in the shot glass. They they put soda in it. So I don't know if you've ever taken like a quick shot of soda. The burps and hiccups trying to get my line out on that. And then uh, the other thing is before I entered, like I had a mustache on and, you know, it's supposed to be a disguise. So I take it off. So then the whole rest of the thing, just the, um, the glue, you know, that's on there under the light. It was like my my upper lip just like being burned. Oh wow! Like so, being set on fire. Yeah. Those moments, uh, I'm grateful for those moments. It did bring me joy, and like I said, like a little bit of embarrassment because like you're not expecting that, um, and people are paying to see uh, a show. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's part of that experience. Um, it will happen. Yeah, we saw. I cannot remember the name. I think it was Merlin. Like in the early 80s, like, like I don't know if you remember, there's a magician named Dave Henney, um, like before even like David Copperfield, yeah. like like, yeah, like yeah. in that. And, you know, now I look back like, why didn't they have an understudy? But one of the leads had broken his leg and he literally did the whole, this is a Broadway show. He did the whole thing on crutches with a cast on hopping around the stage. Yeah. I mean, that's the dedication to the craft, man. Like, doesn't matter. We were talking during the break. Um, we mentioned Shakespeare. You've done Shakespeare, but you did different Shakespeare you had a you know you had a little bit of a different role in a Shakespeare play yeah, different roles it was um Romeo and Juliet and the concept was very minimalistic it was different um very dark same story but the only two characters that spoke their lines was Romeo and Juliet so I played four characters. I played Mercutio, I played Tybalt, um, Friar Lawrence, and Paris. So basically, everything that I had to do was just physical theater. It was physicality 100%. And it was a challenge because Romeo would interact with a lot of these characters and to find that delicate moment where you have to make the audience understand what you're trying to tell him without saying anything verbally, that is, it was quite a process. And I didn't, ex I mean, I didn't expect the outcome to be that good because people really enjoyed it. And basically it wasn't the classical Shakespearean play. It was, it was modified and it was very artsy. It was very minimalistic. It was very dark. And I, I wore masks, different masks all the time. And I would change the wardrobe based on the character. <laughs> and I remember um, at the end of the um, play, we had some critics, some theater critics that were interviewing, you know, the director, the actors, the actors 
actresses, etc. And they really enjoyed what I did with Friar Lawrence because like the physicality was very specific. And so you have, you know, uh, I have all my thespian fellows just talking about, you know, what they did and what they read and what they saw. And since my interpretation was mainly physicality, I had to watch a lot of movies and like I had to see a lot of animals. So there I am just talking about my process and all of a sudden I'm talking about velociraptors <laughs> because I saw Jurassic Park and like the way they walked was like very particular so I, I kind of started playing around with that and just looking at, at the interviewer's face was just hilarious to me. Uh, I think at some point they cut me off because I was talking about yeah because the velociraptors and the way they walk and like you know they're animalistic and they, it was just like so bizarre <laughs> you know and they were like okay so um you what what do you have to say about this i'm like okay that didn't go that well um but yeah, it was, that, that was that was an experience for sure. And bringing it back to a couple of things, you know, we talked about in the first segment, you know, The Lion King on Broadway, I think for like the giraffe, they basically use like actors were like on kind of stilts yeah. and that kind of looking a little bit like, like Velociraptors. And uh, talk about physical acting, you said that you tried to imitate a lot of Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah. A lot, yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed that a lot because I, I, dude, I, I, used, I used to see all of his movies, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Dumb and Dumber, you know, me, myself, and I, and he, he is Jim Carrey for a reason. So as a kid, yeah, I used to impersonate specifically Dumb and Dumber. The scene where he's dreaming that he's with the girl and he's in the restaurant and he gets up in this fight with the chef and like all those faces, you know, all those things. I used to do that almost every single day. You didn't imitate the second part of that scene, did you, where he tries, well, to, no, light, the where, where he tries to light his I didn't uh, have flatulence? A girl. I didn't have a girl at the time. Tries to light his flatulence on fire? No, <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't. But yeah, I was, I, I mean, I've always been very good um, impersonating certain characters, you know. So um, I always joke around and like, I could be, okay, Howard, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm under the production of uh, Freddy Rodriguez and we're doing uh, Predator 3. The comeback. Adrian! Hey, what are you? What are you slang? Great. Let's go shoot some people because my, my gun will never run out of bullets. Uh, exactly. And no one will ever hit us. You know what's funny? Like, a lot of people don't like The Last Action Hero because... A lot of people don't understand that movie, and it's just a satire of yeah. of, of action movies. Yeah. And it's funny, like when when his character Jack Slater goes back in time and meets the actual Arnold that he's like in a premiere of Jack Slater. Yeah. He's talking about that. He's like, "I'm very proud of this movie because now um, we have only killed about 250 extras as opposed to the 400 that we did in Commando." So, like, the, to me, that's just hilarious, dude. It was just I, I love that movie, especially the scene where they get to the to that building and he tells the kid like the kid goes like hey I need a gun he goes like there's a gun in the glove compartment so when he opens the glove compartment like 50 pistols just come out of it it's just like exaggerated it's just incredible I I love it Squirrel Commando reminds me I think Alyssa Milano was like my first crush it's interesting you mentioned you know impersonating I know me like that's how I 
started acting, I guess, you know, impersonating. We were, I was a big Mel Brooks fan from the time I was, you know, first movie I ever saw was Blazing Saddles. When I was four or five years old, we'd impersonate a lot of Pink Panther movies growing up. Chimpanzee Minky. <laughs> <laughs> Even to this day, me, my brother, my father, we'll go back and forth with that. Impersonating is almost like the um, the Acme approach to acting, like oh, impersonating. Yeah, and you had mentioned you studied Stanislavski. There's really few, I guess, of the well-known schools, you know, Method and Stanislavski, Hand in Hand, Meisner, Chekhov, Practical Aesthetics. So what does that mean, a school of acting? For listeners that don't know, don't you just act? No, I mean, it's a very complex art form, you know, and it's it's a very, I think you make your own technique. Everything that you can learn through Chekhov or Stanislavski or Meisner or Lee Strasberg is basically the same structure, but from different points of views. Because, you know, they had the theater group and still Adler and Meisner and, and they went their separate ways. But it's just a different way to approaching your truth. That's the way I see it. And yes, I mean, Stanislavski is is the father of method acting. Um, I think that in my case, what changed in my craft, what changed me was when I studied um, Meisner. I studied with Sebastian Ligarde um, for two years, two and a half years here in Florida. And I learned a lot about myself because that's that's something that it, it can't be optional. You know, you need to really accept who you are as a person and also there's a lot of things that you're not going to want to do and you need to find a balance when that moment comes and be truthful about it i learned a lot with sebastian about behavior a behavior doesn't lie and acting is behavior so i don't need you to tell me that you love me i want you to show it to me you need to show me. And the only way that you can do that is behaving that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and repetition really helps you to get out of your head because you're always we're always in our head thinking about the lines. And anticipation is the actor's biggest challenge because you know exactly what's going to happen on the script. You know exactly when the cue is and, you know, when somebody is giving you a line and you got to do this and that. So to get rid of that and be in the moment, Mm -hmm. it takes years to master, you know, a very good actor, a very good actress. It takes about 10 years to become that Mm -hmm. level of talent. And you always have to train consistently, consistently. It doesn't matter if you're an A-list actor. It doesn't matter if you're starting. I mean, you have to consistently be training your craft because it's like a muscle. It's an instrument. You, You always need to keep that... Um, level of commitment and discipline because you never know when the moment comes it could be your big break or it could be a good opportunity and you need to be prepared for that even for self-tapes audition processes have changed after COVID very much you know everybody right now everything's through self-tape it's convenient because you can do it 20 times before you send it in but then of course as an actor you also become your own casting director so you have to like really look at it from an objectively and say okay this is the best or this is not the best and then send it and everything else is beyond is out of your control as where to going into a room where the cast and director is, the producer or the director, et cetera, that adrenaline 
it's so much needed. Like I've always, I've always said to myself, if I'm not feeling some type of adrenaline or if I'm not feeling afraid, because it's you, I perceive it as like I'm, I'm afraid, but it's just excitement and it's just all, all those mixed components. If that's not happening on stage, if that's not happening to me on a film set where I know there's 20 people and cameras and you're there to do your job and have fun because you're supposed to have fun with it. Um, then clearly something is wrong. And I think with the on you know virtual auditions, like you said, you lose the energy that you get being in a room. And especially if you have to read with another person, like virtual chemistry is just not the same thing as being able to defeat in that person. And even virtual, it's not a hundred percent real time. It could be like 99% real time, but you got different people, different internet services. Someone may have lag. So it may, it could almost, everyone's going to have, you know, some different systems, different internet. So I wonder if what happens sometimes is whether you have lag or the person you're reading with has lag, that like there's an extra delay where it makes you seem like you're not like responding as quickly to that person's line or Right. All that, that yeah, those yeah, it, dynamics, yeah. Changes the whole dynamic completely. And it's true, like that chemistry, that energy that needs to be in the room, it's not. You know, you have to rely solely on yourself. So, but there's ways of doing that. I mean, if, if you're not feeling energetic, hey, just have some coffee and do 50 squats before you start recording. If like the scene really requires you to be that, you know, energetic. So... It's um, you can play with a lot of things, um, and I I'm always fascinated of seeing you know watching interviews of A-listers. You know, um, there's one thing that I I always replay it in my mind. I think it's uh, it was Ryan Cranston that he said it after he fought, he won his um, his award. They asked him like, what would be the advice for you know upcoming talent? Um, what would you tell them? And he said something that is very true. Like when you go to an audition, don't go there with the mindset that you get you're there to get a job. That's completely out of your control. Instead, look at it as an opportunity to have an audience act whatever it is that you're presenting and then you walk away and that's it. And that's it's powerful and anything else, it's really beyond your control. But if you have that mentality where you're going to get the role and it's it's like a job interview, that's when you get frustrated because if you don't get it, then you're going to feel, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I did it wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And there's that's not going to that's not going to be the only audition that's going to come your way. So and one piece of advice I remember from school, uh, whether it's acting, whether it's producing, you know, pitching, you're going to hear no a hell of a lot more times than you're going to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a lot of thick skin for that. And if you don't have thick skin. You're not going to go far in it. 90% of it is going to be rejection. Nothing will come easy. Not at all. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's a tough, it's a tough industry. Going back to, you know, stage, screen, is it a challenge for you to transition? Let's say you've done a play for a month and then you're going to go film a movie or a TV show, you know, the next week. Is it hard for you? Not just, you know, obviously different characters, but um, the mindset of, you know, being on, on a stage versus being in front of a camera? Definitely there is uh, something that it it has happened where, but I've, I've also learned from, you know, my peers and like my teachers is that on stage, the person that is in control is the actor. 
You're the one in control. On a film set, the director's the one That's in control. Right. So, like, if you've been doing a play for two and a half months and it's very up here and I'm like, la, 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 la. And then you go back to and you go into a film set. It doesn't matter if you're too high. If the director doesn't like it, he'll be like, just tone it down a little bit. And then you gradually just minimize that energy. But in camera is what I love about film is the silence. When there's a pause are doing a scene and there's a lot of pause, a lot of pauses between the dialogues. And that's where the subtext comes in and the camera catches all of that. If it's a good director, they'll never tell you to cut right away. They'll keep, they'll let you go and keep going. Cause in the, that's something else I learned. Like in film, it doesn't matter if you're taking three minutes to cry because some people are more, to them it's easier to cry, but then they have difficulty like, portraying anger, for example, and vice versa. So once that material gets to the editing room, they can reduce it, you know, as opposed to like if they cut right away, they can't make it longer. So there's a lot of differences on stage and film, obviously. But as far as transitioning, it's just that. It's just the way that you project your voice and it's different, you know. And yeah, there could be a pause in, in theater, a moment. But like I said, it's you can get away with it in, on stage way more than film. And you said, you know, you have a background, you know, martial arts, karate. The Romeo and Juliet, you know, was a very physical thing. Do you find stage performances or film performance give you more which one gives you more opportunity to kind of like rely on your physicality to be like more physical it really depends on the type of project i remember in that play i think i had spasms in my lower back because i wasn't stretching enough and then that turned into a herniated disc so you have to be very careful when it comes to that if it's not safe don't do it because it's not worth it you know that's why like in like major motion pictures they have you know stunt coordinators and they have stunt doubles so unless you're tom cruise but like it really depends you know on stage obviously Everything's is choreographed and there's no physical contact. There might be moments where you may get punched, you may hurt your back, or hurt your ankle or your wrist or whatever the case may be. But it's very important to keep your health in check. Like if you want to be that type of actor where you want to do, you know, action films or you want to showcase your ability in a certain um, with a certain uh, skill, like you have to be ready for that. Like if you're going to put in your resume, oh, I can drive a motorcycle and you in real life you don't drive motorcycles then they're going to cast you to do that and then what are you going to (laughs) do like and i think you know sometimes audiences or casual film goers don't realize how even if it's not an action film how physically demanding being an actor can be a hundred percent i was recently in a short film where i was digging a grave and i was shoveling and i was pulling bags or supposed to be body parts but they were filled with sand like that and i mean i I was freaking done. It's just like your energy, yeah. like it, it drains you completely yeah. because like a lot of the time you spend on a on, on a movie set or a TV set, it's just waiting. You're just waiting because they have to set up the lights. They have to, you know, like it's the whole process and like all departments are working for that specific scene and that takes time. And maybe the weather gets involved. So it's supposed to be a sunny day, but it's cloudy. So they're considering if they should wait more or they should, you know, cancel the shoot that day and blah, 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 blah. So. Or an actor who's not necessarily a physical actor, you know, let's say they have to run like a block or 50 feet, but they have to do a 10 takes. 
or 12 takes. Like it's 12, 12 takes or 15 yeah. And maybe they don't run in real life. <laughs> so there's a high chance that you may get injured. So all those things you need to take into consideration. Um, on stage is, is different because of the space, obviously. And like um, they always hire, you know, stunt coordinators, choreographers for that kind of thing. Um, if you go to a prestigious school like Stella Adler, they right. teach you stage combat. And that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. It's like stage combat. It's your training specifically for that. So the more skills you have, the better chances you'll have to be in X or Y production because, you know, it's pretty cool if you know how to drive a motorcycle. It's pretty cool if you know your way with the weapons, you know, um, things like that. If you have, if you're bilingual, if you know more than three languages, like that gives you opportunities to uh, to go anywhere because if you know how to speak French or German, okay, so if, if it's not happening in the U.S., for example, I can go to Germany and France and try it there. You never know. So, yeah. And you also, you started talking about, um, you know, keeping your headshots up to date and, you know, the kind of the self-marketing piece of that. The audition. I want to come back to that uh, in our next segment. So we're going to take another quick break. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back with Fernando Gillen. So, Fernando, we talked about acting. Uh, we talked about action movies. We've talked about plays. We've talked about the theater. We've talked about the screen. A lot of things um, from a broad point of view. Um, I want to get back to talking about you. Um, you had mentioned in the last segment having to do headshots, having to, you know, make a self-tape, having to do all these things really to, like, market yourself. I mean, yes, you have an agent. Keep it in shape is obviously. So, can you talk about um, really, like, what does the process look like what really has to be done before you can even put yourself in a position to get invited to auditions that like all that kind of preparation that goes in yes um first of all you need to go to acting school whether it's a workshop whether it's a conservatory because that's where you're gonna obviously learn the craft and most of the people that teach in acting schools are actors that had trajectories and they know people. So it's all about networking. Go see a lot of plays, go to the theater, you know, meet the directors, meet the actors, the actresses. That's a way of networking and getting involved in the community. Um, you need to have your headshots, obviously. That's your business card. That's how you market your image. That's how you market yourself. Uh, in this modern era, uh, social media, it's a really good tool um, to showcase your talent. You know, you can self-tape yourself doing a monologue or if you have friends that go to film school, that's also a way of maybe doing scenes with the with another actress, another actor, and just doing little scenes that you can edit and you can add that to your demo reel. Going to film schools, it's also a way of getting involved because at the beginning, you have to do it in order to have a reel because the thing, the three things that they always ask is headshots, resume, and your demo reel. There's also certain... Websites, you know, casting networks, actors access, backstage.com. Backstage is more for like extra 
work, but that is very important not to ignore because a lot of people live doing extra work. And sometimes you get paid $500 a day every day and you're there for like four days. But then you're doing extra work in a Warner Brothers production. So I love doing that every once in a while because I can go there. And one thing that I was recommended to do by one of my teachers is that when you do extra work, when they cut and they're trying to set things up to do another scene, just walk around the production, you know, just just let them see you. So you're doing like, I don't know, a police officer that's just standing in the door. That's fine. But in between takes, just walk around in uniform. Let them see you. Because you never know when they say like, oh, who is that guy? Oh, who is that actress? Like, I want to meet her. That's little things like that can definitely help you. And those uh, websites, you can obviously put your profile, you set up your profile, um, your skills. They ask you like protocol questions. And based on your profile, you will always get notifications of casting directors that are looking for a specific um, actor, actress. And if it matches your profile, it's going to pop up. So sometimes they're union projects, non-union, and it's just, you know, sometimes they have sides, sometimes they don't. Sometimes the auditions could be just, you know, pretending that you're cooking a meal, for example. Um, If you're creative enough, maybe you will actually cook a meal just to have that truth in it. And that's basically the basics, you know, unless you have like a very good luck of having friends in the industry that they can just help you to network with other people. But And you talk about being an extra, just a word to the wise for anyone who's thinking about pursuing extras work uh, coming from an AD that uh, don't ever try to sneak a line in or like insert yourself into a scene. You will be fired before you could even, yes, fired, replaced. And it's a very small world in the industry. And never talk bad about anybody. Always talk good about everybody. You know, never, ever do that. And I think to Fernando's point, in a way, you're always, you need to always be on your game. You know, you never know when you walk into a restaurant and someone recognizes you from, you know, even a local theater play or something. You just always have to have to be on your game. You never know who's watching and maybe that's the look that they're looking for. Because, you know, a lot of those things happen. Like, you could be very talented, but if you don't look like the character and then they have someone that actually does look like the character they wrote, then that's like, that's their ultimate decision. And you could be replaced at any moment. Be always on time. Know your lines. If you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. You're late. The script is not optional. You have to know your lines. You have to know what's in the story. And always communicate. Always communicate with your director. Always communicate with your scene partner. That's important. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is that they tell you no. But at least you tried. Then there's even little things, which are more just like little life instructions. Um, you know, everybody uses Waze or GPS, but still, you know, if the time, do a dry run. You know, drive and, you know, okay, it takes 20 minutes, you know, it takes 35 minutes in traffic. You should still leave an hour, give yourself an hour. Yes, unless you have to travel to another yeah. state, another country. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah. try to be there three days before. <laughs> make sure Make sure your car has gas because- Last thing you want to do is, you know, you get out and then all of a sudden you got to stop at the gas station and yeah, it's, like, it's just, just like little, little life hacks. The typical starter pack, you need to have a suitcase in your trunk and uh, full of clothes and all kinds of stuff, you know, headshots, this and that. And the one thing that it's really 
practical is to have like a, an actual business card. A physical business card. A physical business card. So when you're networking, you just hand them over. Like I'm a talent, I'm an actor. Those little things, believe it or not, they makes you look professional. So you gotta act professional. You gotta you gotta sell yourself as hey, I'm professional at this. I'm good at it. I'm what you're looking for. So, and I would say on the business card nowadays, it's so easy to get a QR code. Get a QR code to your Instagram or your website. Exactly. That's on it. Make it as you want to make it as easy for the person you're meeting to find out about you that it can. Yes. And once you have also your demo reel ready, never go past one minute because casting directors are not going to look at a three minute demo reel. It has to be thirty seconds, one minute of your best shots, your best reactions. And it doesn't matter if you don't have much. Like I said, you can, the way I started in the film community was going to um, film schools in college, universities, New York Film Academy. Like they're always looking for talent to do their short film and they're, they're really good quality films. It doesn't matter if it doesn't win, win an award or, and if it does great, but it, do, it doesn't matter because that's what you're going to use to create your demo reel. You need that. Would you say, I don't know if you could actually put a number or percentage. I'm sure it's you self-submit for roles. You know, you, you're looking on Actors Access or whatever. You see a casting call. You send your stuff in. That I assume is significantly higher than the amount of times someone reaches out to you. Like someone, you probably have to submit more out of a hundred times. It's probably 50, you've sent stuff in and maybe 10 times someone like, Always. like proactively contacts you. Always. Yeah. So, so yeah. So be proactive is the other big and part. Not everyone's going to reach back. You know, it's, yeah, it's like 90% rejection. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, you have to deal with that. And Never get involved with three or four projects at a time. Always, you know, if you have one project, roll with that. And if you have another one simultaneously, you can possibly pull it off. But if you're in three different projects simultaneously, you won't be able to keep up. Because on top of that, you have to deal with your with your personal life. You have to go to work. You have to pay your bills. You have to do a, a bunch of other things that come in. Unless, like, you're rich and, like... <laughs> so, in regards to actually getting work... Um, you know, you've set up your profiles, you got your real, you got your your Instagram, your TikTok, your website, but you can't just sit back and wait for the calls to come. You have to be proactive. You have to seek out casting calls. You have to submit. Exactly. Something like that. But like, it's not, it's always have a, a plan B. Always, you know, um, something that you're good at, something you can enjoy. Because when that big break happens, that's going to be your life, literally. So, but until that happens, you need to find find something that you can live off and just take acting as a fun hobby, a hobby that you can enjoy and build your craft with. Because if not, the level of frustration could rise to a point where you're like, okay, I'm done and it's not for me. And you don't want to be in that position if, it's, if you're really passionate yeah. about it. So you've, uh, you've either, you've submitted to a casting call or, you know, that magical moment when a, uh, you know, casting director reaches out to you and invites you to an audition. How do you prepare for that? Uh, well, I first celebrate. Woo! Yes, I got it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and basically, you know, um, they send you the material, you read it. And what I do is I go there. I have my music on. 
because I don't like to be distracted. There might be other people there. And I always approach the person, the first line of contact, which is, you know, the receptionist, whatever. You put your name, your information. And then I always like to know who's ahead of me. And based on that, I just kind of isolate, listen to my music. I know my lines. And I usually, when I go in, I go in with an optimistic attitude. You know, just be yourself and introduce yourself. How you doing? And always, I always ask if I can use the space. Do they need me to do this? Do you just want me to walk out of the room? Which even if I don't ask you, if they say no or yes, I usually do that. So is, is so asking questions is okay? Yes, of course. It's your time. That's your time. That's your moment. You're completely entitled to ask questions. And it's good because it kind of shows that you know what you're doing. You know, you're just not going to do something that it's going to, you know, like, what are you doing here? But like... I always ask questions. I always ask questions and then I just, I just go. I go and like I give it my all and it's always good to have, um, never eat a meal before going. Never eat a full meal before you go to an audition. It, it, you know, that, that process, it kind of gets you sleepy, you know, slows you down a little bit. Have a snack, stay extremely hydrated. And if you need to go to the bathroom, make sure you do it before you're up. So <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't want to be like moving too much because you need to go to the bed and you, now you're thinking. Unless you're a method actor. Unless you're a method actor and that's part of the role. And then you, and then you ask them, can I use that bucket over there? And then they don't know why. And they will remember you for that, for sure. Um, do you have friends, like fellow actors that before an audition you'll run lines with, or do you record yourself doing lines so you could go back and like critique yourself to prepare? Well, here's the thing. If it's a monologue, there's really nothing else to do that. But if it's a scene with someone else, um, they might play that part, the other part, when you're auditioning. Um, so what I like to do is that I use my phone and I record the other part. So I'm just rehearsing with that. It takes a while to get it right, but that is a tool that I use. You talk to yourself. I talk to myself, exactly, literally. So you've gone to the audition, you knocked it out of the park. They love you, of course. You get the call you've been waiting for, you've been cast. That's then a, what happens? That's another process. Because like, once you audition, they might tell you, oh my God, I want you. They might say it right there. And I always like to go, Amongst the first, because if you knock it out of the park, it's really hard to like think about someone else that comes after you because they, they, they're stuck with that image of you. So I just walk out and forget about it. I just completely forget about it, not think about it at all. And when I do get the call that I got it, then that's another, woo, yes, I know, <laughs> you know? So then it's just a process because then you have a, a table read with the entire production, the director, you meet the other talents, then they start set up a date for the film. If they got any rehearsals, the dates for rehearsals, so. So you receive the script and, you know, obviously you read the script to kind of try to understand the character, read into it, but what type of cues are in the script maybe that can really help you develop your character or? Or is it a conversation with the director or, I mean, it's probably a little bit of everything. I know we were talking about Michael Mann earlier. Michael Mann is famous for writing out detailed biographies of main characters. But if you just get a script for that, how does that help you develop your character? Obviously, you have to break down the script. There's a series of questions that you need to answer, kind of like structured questions like, who are you? What do you want? What's your relationship? There's a little book that I bought. It's called The Actor's Theosaurus. It's like a, 
a little dictionary with it's a dictionary of verbs called the actor theosar is that it's just it's verbs and the synonyms of those verbs so for every moment in the script you have to have an action when when i mean an action it's actioning so how am i approaching this person the relationship with the other characters is the are the other characters what they say in the script is it true about me and you always have to find something that is similar to you in the script always and aside from that is just doing research watching a lot of films you learn a lot by watching a lot and a good technique to do that aside from watching the film obviously is to rewatch it but muted so you can see how they react because when you watch a movie basically what you're seeing is everybody's reactioning it's just reaction after reaction after reaction after reaction acting is reacting do your research read the script break it down watch a lot of films and the more that you can rehearse it the better especially because when you're blocking the scene and always make sure to bring something to the table you need to make the director's job easier the more you bring the better the relationship is going to be and if he doesn't like it then it's not going to happen so you're prepared you've had wardrobe tests you've rehearsed first day of shooting you get on set at zero dark 30 what's that day look like yes you got to make the director's job easier you know um the more ideas and the more that you propose and bring to the table it's going to be better for you if he doesn't like it he'll tell you and if you're doing a good job he's not going to say anything he's going to keep rolling he's going to keep doing it but always make sure that your job is always a priority and not optional because like i said you can't this is something that i've seen a lot in a lot of workshops like they give you the scene and then when the day comes to come to class, nobody read it and nobody worked on it. And it's true. Like if you're not doing this in the workshop, like how do you expect to be in a production and get away with it? You know, because there, there's it's not about the fame. That's part of it. But if you're really passionate about your craft, you need to read a lot. You need to read. You need to watch films. You need to go see plays because you learn a lot from seeing other people perform. That's the way it is. And no one has invented anything new. There's nobody inventing anything new. It's just a way that you portrayed it. Everybody loves in a different way. Everybody hates in a different way. And you have your own way of interpreting those things. So that's the beautiful thing about acting, aside from the fact that you can be someone else. It's that the way that you do it, it's unique, you know? And there's always going to be a line in the script that you're going to identify with. And sometimes that line is what gives you that discovery of... This is who my character is. With that comes a lot of technicality, but that's more like the AD or like, you know, um, the director when you do this, when you do that. And yes, writing a, an autobiography of the character, it helps tremendously. Once you break it down, then you write that biography and just memorize it. Print out pictures. Pictures, you know, if the story is, you're playing a detective, for example, print out pictures that you can see every day. So that's gonna nourish your imagination. And imagination is everything when it comes to acting. It's it's a lot. And the more you travel, the more you have live experiences, you can bring those things to the character, you know? Um, music, music is a powerful tool. For every specific moment, find a piece of music that makes you feel that. And before you roll, listen to that. It's gonna help you connect more with the moment. And if you have a good scene partner, 
it's just going to be a playground. You're not going to struggle with that. So you're prepared. You've had wardrobe tests, everything. You've rehearsed. First day of shooting, you get on set at zero dark 30. What's that day look like? Oh, it's uh, excitement. Uh, You're also nervous because you want to do the best you can, but... It's just like the energy is always high because it's it's also like for the production team, they're starting this project. So everybody's on point. So that's what I mean that you need to be at their level because you don't want to be the kind of talent that everybody's on. Because in the end, like they're there for you also, you know, like they're there to work with you, to work for you. So you got to stay humble. You got to stay prepared. Be always on time. I get stressed. Like I can't. I can't be late to any any place. Like I'd rather be there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45, whatever the case may be, and wait for everybody that than to be stressed out because I'm an hour later. You know, it's not it's not professional. They will not work with you. They might they might even go that as far as blacklisting you be just because of that. And they know people. And they'll be like, oh, man, you know what? I've worked with her. I've worked with him. Mm, wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, very talented, but he's always late. She's always late. She's always on the phone. You know what I mean? Like those things, they they pay attention to that. And this is one thing I learned, and this especially like in, in TV, always treat the camera crew as if they were the the owners of that of that production and the makeup artists always because if you say something wrong those people they, they can make your life living a living hell literally they know the passive aggressive tricks to make it they look like know, crap like they own it literally if you say something if we do something wrong trust me it's not gonna go well because they do a lot of work they work really hard and while you're chilling in your trailer you know getting your soda whatever they have to hustle and they have and it's part of their job that's what they do but you always have to keep in mind that they're doing all of that not only for the production but for you and the actor can be replaced like that there's 10,000 people waiting for that shot even A-listers have been replaced even A-listers have been replaced so it's always good to have you know a good communication and stay humble treat everybody with respect it's not something that it should be optional just a good life lesson overall absolutely there might be there may be differences you're always going to find that one person that for some reason doesn't like you Um, but that's not your problem that's somebody else's you know you have to be professional and you have to understand that just like in life you know, there's always going to be differences and sometimes you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. And it's funny, there's been moments in, in in cinema history where you see the chemistry on screen, but they hated each other. They hated each other. Like, I can't be with you, Alfred. I yeah. just, you know, yeah. and you see it on film and it's like, wow, they look so good and they're great friends. And then once they, they yell cut, it's like, don't look at me. I... I mean it. <laughs> you know, they're like that. So, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. It's a lot of hard work to get to that point where cameras roll or curtains up on the stage. Um, but if you're dedicated to it, like you definitely are, it's worth it. It's satisfying. It's better than it's better than sitting at a desk all day. I'm telling you, it's totally worth it when that outcome presents itself to you, and you know that's because of your effort. Because it, the one thing that I enjoy, there's nothing more joyful to me that, than working with talented people, people that are creative, people that love what they do. When you are working with a team of people and artists that they're on the same page, it's like going to the gym. You go to the gym, you want to get the pump, 
and you see 50 people doing the same thing and everybody's like in that same level, you get motivated. Like you want to keep going. Like you feel good being there. So the same thing happens. It's, it's really good. It's a really amazing feeling because you're speaking the same language. You're talking to me in the same language, man. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's that to me is, is, a, is a true blessing because there, there, there's going to be moments where an actress, uh, a director, whatever the case, um, they might have a certain attitude. And if you don't know how to handle it, it could affect you mentally, emotionally, and who knows, maybe you, you'll end up walking from that production, which is a good opportunity, but it's part of it. You have to learn how to deal with that. And the critics, that's basically your job. A lot of people are not going to like what you do. A lot of people are going to like what you do. It's just the nature of the game. Yeah. Can't be thinking, overthinking, or judging yourself consistently. Oh, did I do it right? And if, if, if you think that you could have done better, then lesson learned. It's just about experience. In the end, it's experience, it's hard work, it's dedication, patience. And continuously honing and practicing your craft. Yes, no matter what. We're going to take one more quick break, and then we'll be back to conclude this episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating, and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop, where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Last of all, be sure to also follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We'll be right back. I'm Howard Brand and we are talking today with Fernando Gillen. So Fernando um, talked a lot about preparation, talked a lot about, you know, what you do to keep yourself up and about and in and always ready to go. So what are the things you're doing now to, you mentioned working out, keep yourself in shape. Are you currently, you know, involved with any acting schools, any classes, any just? Uh, currently at the moment, no. I'm planning to start in a new studio here in Miami. Uh, they recommended me to go to Michael Jacks. That's his name. So I'm planning to, you know, just retake on a new journey uh, in my acting career. I'm also doing the basics, doing new set of headshots, um, editing my demo reel and updating my resume as well. I'm currently involved in a project called Cinema Pathway. I've never heard of that. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I created it by Fred Rodriguez. So, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting um, project. I'm not going to um, expose too much information. Just going to keep everybody wondering what's it about. You can tell people, but then we'd have to kill you. Yeah, exactly. Or sue me. So, <laughs> but um, no, I'm just going back to basics, literally. And where can our listeners follow you on either social media or see your work? Well, they can go into my Instagram. It's Fern G. That's F E R N B as in Bob, E-T-A-N-G. Yes. What advice would you give to aspiring actors? Be patient. Be patient. Be responsible. And really feel that if you're going to make this choice, it's, it's something that you really want. Because the journey is, is tough. Um, it's full of you know, ups and downs, just like live it is. But it's something that if you really love it, it's going to change your life. 
But I would literally advise anyone that wants to get into acting is to really work on your patience because it takes time and it's not easy and your moment will come as long as you put in the work. What does your future look like? Colorful. <laughs> okay. Colorful. I don't like to think too much about the future. I like to stay in the present moment. So I'm working in the present moment uh, really hard to have a positive outcome. And I see myself working uh, in very good projects, uh, knowing more people and just doing what I love. To me, fitness and acting are my two passions. It's what I love to do. I'm currently also working on my personal trainer certification. So that's something that I'm really hoping to achieve because it's a way of living the life that I want. That's the life that I want. And I can do it anywhere in the world, to be honest. Um, so yeah. What's your dream project? Like if you get one wish to do a project at whatever you want, carte blanche. My dream project would be to work with Christopher Nolan. That would be like, I won't even have the words to express my gratitude. I mean, it's just every single movie that he's ever done is just a masterpiece for me. Maybe you could work with him on an American Ninja reboot. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> One of the things sometimes people forget that want to get into the industry is, you know, they want to be an actor mm. and that, or they want to write, they want to direct specifically, but there's other, like, I guess I'll call them not adjacent positions, but things to kind of leverage their talents. And, you know, our previous episode, we had Nicole Perry, who's an intimacy coordinator with your fitness background and your you know martial arts background, all that is like stunt choreography or stunt coordination, something that you would ever look into pursuing. It will be an, an interesting path. However, However, with that comes a lot of risk, you know, especially if, if you haven't been working as a stunt coordinator or you have no idea what you're doing. It would have to be something that I consider worth doing because, like I said, it's very easy to get injured. And that's something that you don't want because assuming that that would happen, then it limits you in other aspects of your life. And was it worth it? I would love to be an acting coach. I've done that a couple of times with colleagues of mine and it's worked, you know, so. It's interesting, you know, people that don't know and that, you know, they say, oh, acting coach, if they were any good, wouldn't they be a star? And I parallel that to, I'm a sports guy. And when you look at- Jeremy McGuire? Close. Um, no, when you look at the great, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, um, Larry Bird, some of the greatest players in their sport at all time, not great coaches. And sometimes it's hard for people that are at the top. It's hard for these people that are greats at their game and can do things that no one else can to be able to like bring that down to other people and they can't comprehend why like normal people can't do that. Yo, we're talking about De Niro. De Niro can do things as an actor, but doesn't necessarily mean that he could coach other people how to do that or teach other people how to do that. So I think you wanting to be an acting coach is uh, is admirable. Yeah. I mean, I understand. Yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, sometimes, hey man, like listen, as a pro athlete, like sometimes you're gen genetically gifted yeah. for that and you just have happen to have a really good coach that enhances that genetical gift that you have. So I think as an acting coach, it also helps you mm -hmm. as an actor because you're working with people that are in the same, you know, they, they want they want what you want, mm -hmm. what you have. And I think you're in a constant state of 
being refreshed of what you know. So I don't see it as not having the ability to teach someone. I think that you can do the best as an acting coach, but if the other person doesn't understand it, I don't think that's necessarily your fault. Because I had great teachers and I had really good classmates. But like I said, if you're going to, if they give you a scene and you have a week to read it and to work on it, and then come Monday, everybody's got their thing together and prepped up and you're not prepared, that's not your teacher's fault. That's on you. So it's very easier to say, oh no, you know, it's just my teacher. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, I'm sorry, but this person has had a 30 year trajectory. So and has been doing this for 20 plus years. It's really, it really comes down to how bad do you want it? Like, do you really want this? then you got to put in the work. I've met a lot of people, you know, starting out in this industry that, you know, they want to get from here to there, but they don't understand how much work you really have to put in to get there. They want instant gratification. They want, they read stories. Oh, you know, this this actor was seen pumping gas at their car and was gas. And it's like, those are one in a trillion chances. And even if it's the one in a trillion story, that story usually is edited. Like, yeah, they were pumping gas, but they were doing that for 10 years. You know what I mean? It just didn't happen to be like, oh, I'm just going to pump gas. And two weeks went by and like, oh, you know what? I just happened to be there and like Steven Spielberg rolled up and I had to pump his car. And like, he was like, oh my God, you look like this character. Like, just give me a call. Like it doesn't, it could happen, but it's one in a trillion, you know, exactly. It's overnight success. It takes time. You know, it's rare, especially if you, if you start at a certain age, like if you start when you're a kid, like DiCaprio, like uh, Henry Cavill, like all those guys that started at 15, at 18, you know, by the time they're in the late 20s, then, okay, so you're Superman. Oh, okay, so you're Aquaman. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it takes time. And you, there's going to be a lot of, like, even A-listers, they've done movies that are not really that good. And, you know, it's trial and error. And it's and they have to keep going and keep going and keep going until comes the day where, like, oh, check this out. Like, you're in Game of Thrones. So now, opportunities. Pick an actor or actress, go to their IMDb and scroll all the way to the bottom and see, oh, they had walk-on roles on this show. They were in this thing seem deleted. You know, they are an extra. They are in these short. When you're seeing them on the big screen, for most of them, there was a lot that came before. And uh, you talk about Henry Cavill. He points to, he was an extra in uh, Proof of Life. And he was one of Russell Crowe's son's rugby mates. He just went up to Russell Crowe, asked for advice. You never know. You never know. And you also have the luck factor. You know, you're in the right place at the right time with the right people and you're doing the right thing. There's a lot that comes to it. I mean, you're not going to start going to acting classes and in a year you're going to be nominated for the academy awards like it's not going to happen unless like you're i don't know you're some a-listers family member and even in that case that's just going to get you the door open to start you that career at that level but if it's not your case you got a lot of work to do boy there's uh there's a lot of debate about that going on right now and there was someone who i hope i'm not hurting somebody's feelings no and you know with all that there was someone who's i can't remember who like their daughter auditioned for a role in their movie and he didn't cast her talk about frustrations and broken egos and Talk about awkward Thanksgiving dinner. Wow. So how was your audition? Any news? Guess who I cast in my movie? Not you. 
and you're stuffing down that turkey. And it's pretty much like uh, like the Shrek scene where the, where Fiona comes with Shrek to meet the parents. Uh-huh. Pretty much something like yeah. that, you know, and everybody's just, is it's it's hungry and like everybody's hating each other. This has been great. Again, I, I love your passion. Thank you, Howard. I wish you the best of luck. I'm excited Thank to you. see you. You too, man. You Thank go. you so much. You have an open invitation to come back on the podcast whenever you want. We can talk more Absolutely. Movies, the 80s, the days of the Coke and Smoke back then. The days of Scarface. Yeah, I've heard people many times say whenever you watch a movie from the 70s or 80s, just remember you have to look at it through the lens of everybody was coked out of their minds. <laughs> hey, man, thank you so much you for having me. And um, thank you for, for sharing, letting me share with uh, whoever's listening out there. I'll definitely be back. We'll talk about all this stuff, about the drilling process of this podcast. About the trials and tribulations of trying to record a podcast. Thank you so much, Howard, and for your time. And I hope that whoever's listening um, takes the best out of this. And Listeners, tell your friends. I wish you all lots of good luck. Awesome. Thank you again. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time. Lights out.